Before we get started, After the Monuments is proud to thank Team Henry Enterprises for their support of our show. Team Henry Enterprises is a black-owned contracting firm specializing in office, retail, medical, multifamily, and higher education construction of all scopes and sizes. In the wake of the George Floyd protest, Team Henry is the very firm contracted by the city of Richmond to take down the Confederate monuments in Richmond and by many other municipalities to remove other Confederate monuments around Virginia and throughout the Southeast. Learn more about Team Henry and how they can help your community rebuild, renovate, or design at TeamHenryENT.com. I'm Kelly Lemon. And I'm Michael Paul Williams. And welcome to the After the Monuments podcast, where we look at events and news about race in a historical context and see how, too often, history repeats itself. In this episode, we're getting further into the right-wing assault on public education. And for this episode, we're joined by Mary Bauer, who is the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Virginia, headquartered right here in Richmond. Hey, Mary, how are you doing? (laughs) Doing really well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, It's I'm just it's hard for me not to think of what we're going to talk about today. uh, outside of a global framework, as we're talking here, um, Russia's poised to to invade a sovereign, um, fledgling democracy. Um, in the United States, we have a political party in denial of what happened on January 6, 2021, um, in the, by way of insurrection. Um, uh, we have a uh, a political party enthralled to a wannabe autocrat. And on the school level, it seems like we're seeing things that um, I would have expected uh, uh, in another period of time, but I'm, I'm taken aback by now. Um, tell me just what is the ACLU of Virginia's perspective on what's happening now as far as um, the... Um, Talk of banning books, the, the, this, this drumbeat to ban books, um, to control the, the school curriculum, um, to um, control how school districts respond to the pandemic. Um, just what are your observations about this moment in time and what you're seeing as an organization? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right that this feels like it's coming from another era that is like we're we're recycling ideas that you know, we dealt with and kind of rejected decades ago. The Supreme Court ruled in 1982 that school boards couldn't come in and just uh, decide that they didn't like books based on the content, right? So 40 years ago, and we're still having this fight. Um, and it's and it's at the school board level, and it's at the state level, and it's at the national level. And, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's beyond that. That's maybe beyond the scope of, of kind of my understanding. But it is clearly an attack on on the idea that students should hear truthful history right that is what that is what we are talking about that students shouldn't have the right to kind of understand the real history of the united states and that hurts i mean it hurts kids of color it hurts lgbtq kids but i would argue it it hurts all kids to not be able to hear the real history of their country and to understand kind of from whence we all came. And Mayor, you're the executive director of ACLU of Virginia. 
Um, can, can you talk, correct. can you talk a little bit about your role? Um, and, and, you know, I know we are specifically talking about education, but just your role in general, um, with ACLU. Sure. Um, well, we have a team of about 25 folks. Um, and we, uh, you know, we consider ourselves kind of the, uh, bulwark against tyranny and oppression. And, um, you know, we have, fought against Republicans, against Democrats. You know, we have worked with Republicans and Democrats. We have, um, uh, you know, sued, you know, folks on, on both sides of the aisle. So we're, you know, committed to um, an equitable, a just commonwealth in which people um, have the right to Kind of share their views with a robust First Amendment, and so I, you know, I lead a team of people who are, you know, uh, doing a whole host of work to create that more just and equitable Virginia, and that's, you know, a team of litigators and a team of lobbyists and, you know, folks who work in our communications department who who really tell the story day in and day out of what is going in Virginia. And, you know, the ACLU of Virginia for 50 years has been kind of the resistance to uh, to administrations that are intent on violating people's civil rights and civil liberties. And that's that's what we do, and that's who we are. This all, um, what we're experiencing in Virginia, um, sadly, um, is not unique. It, it, it appears to be part of a national playbook. Um, uh, is, do you sense a national response um, from the ACLU? Um, is, is, are, are you all or, or many organizations throughout the nation facing these issues? And is there like a national strategy to combat them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there has definitely been this kind of drumbeat about uh, really about school censorship across the country. And the ACLU has responded. You know, there's litigation in Oklahoma challenging their ban on critical race theory. And that's, I mean, that's language that we try not to use because honestly, there are no public schools, K through 12, that are teaching critical race theory. This really is about, just about school censorship mm -hmm. and about some kind of crazy notion that um, affluent white kids should never for one second be uncomfortable. Um, and why this has sort of taken over this national level, it really does feel like some, you know, politicians decided that this would be a successful way to kind of, you know, win elections, um, even if it's, um, it, it does such a disservice to our teachers and to our schools and to, you know, our kids who are, who are the future, right? It does such a disservice to them that they can't read the books that they want to read or that they can't have an honest talk and hear about the history of slavery and the Holocaust and those things that have shaped who we are as a society. Um, it's really, you know, politicians, uh, you know, using demagoguery instead of, um, instead of, you know, honest, uh, honest policies that allow kids to be educated the way they should be educated. I don't even know how you reframe legislation to um, eliminate discomfort. <laughs> um, it, it just seems on its face. I, I don't know if there are legal precedents for it. Um, it, it seems ludicrous. I mean, 
How do you um, create an environment where white students do not feel discomfort that does not make students of color uncomfortable, for one? It seems discriminatory on its head in what gets omitted from the school lesson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right, kids of color just not going to hear the history of their, you know, ancestors and their people, right? Absolutely. So just as an example, the there's a lawsuit that was filed on behalf of a group of parents against Albemarle County Schools for allegedly teaching critical race theory at the the elementary school level, which is just so like nutty, um, you know, to be almost fanciful. But the the cause of action that they bring, I, I just read the lawsuit. We're not, you know, kind of um, one of the parties to the lawsuit, but the idea that it was like illegal discrimination under Virginia constitution for little white kids to have to hear about race. I mean, that is the legal argument. It is so preposterous and so offensive and, and just, you know, such a disservice to all of our children, right? To certainly, to black kids who don't get to hear, you know, their true history, to, you know, LGBT kids for whom being able to talk about some of these issues is is actually truly life-saving. And, you know, to kind of middle-class white kids who don't learn the true history of their state and in their country. It's just a disservice to the community uh, writ large. And again, how in a legal system, in a, in a courtroom, in, in a legal, I mean, how do you define to the point that you can enforce or not enforce the term divisive concepts? I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. That is such a ridiculous phrase. And I think we have to assume that the point of it is to intimidate um, and censor teachers um, from talking because it's it is impossible to define that term it's a, it's a it's a ridiculous term is is slavery a divisive topic i mean i i don't know um the but well when you look for example at this governor's decision to put out a tip line against teachers and then to refuse to share that information when you know freedom of information act requests were submitted to actually find out what was what was happening pursuant to the tip line it is a it is a wanton effort to censor and intimidate teachers from teaching our true history yeah that just seems like something out of the red scare i mean what <laughs> right and as if teachers in this moment in time didn't have enough kind of burden and pressure like just having survived Teaching through this pandemic um, seems, you know, I'm I'm in awe of what my kids' teachers do, but then to say, you know, the, here's this other kind of pressure we're going to put on you that's entirely contrived, and you won't really understand what you can and can't talk about, but just know that you might get in trouble, right? And we can't tell you exactly like how and when you will get in trouble, but people are spying on you, people are watching you, right? That is not. Um, that is not the message that teachers should be hearing at this moment. Or, I mean, really ever, but certainly not at this moment. You said 50 years the ACLU has been in existence. Um, what, what trends are coming back around? As we talk about after the monuments, you know, we're talking about things that were happening before the monuments came up, and now they're still happening after the monuments are, are coming down. Um, what are you surprised that, you know, that is still coming back around as you're dealing with some legal and education? 
Yeah, and and the you know the ACLU of Virginia has been around for 50 years, but the ACLU nationally um, was created in 1920, so mm -hmm. it's really been around 100 years. Mm -hmm. And and it is you know I mean it's it's really um, disheartening and sometimes you know devastating to know that we are having the exact same fights that have you know we've been having for for these decades. I mean, you look in the in the area, for example, of reproductive rights. We thought that got resolved in 1973 with a very clear decision from the United States Supreme Court. And yet here we are and at, at, at a very real risk that reproductive rights are going to be taken away from women, right? That, that's a fight that we thought, you know, we had, um, we had reached some societal consensus. And in fact, the majority of Americans um, pretty solidly do support women's right to an abortion. So that's a fight we're having again. Um, but, but on the issue of race, um, you know, we, we've never really... Um, we've never really made the progress that we told ourselves we made, right? You know, look at the look at the fight for school segregation or against school segregation, right? There's some some narrative out there that like that we succeeded in that effort, right? And that schools are now uh, you know integrated and robust. And and you know you can look at many um, look at data and see many schools. Um, many kids of color are going to more segregated schools than they were before that, before Brown versus the Board of Education. So, you know, this idea, this idea that we've succeeded, that we're in this post-racial world, right? Like, you know, if if people ever believe that, I think this current like narrative um, and these current efforts to say that we can't talk about these things. Um, really, you know, uh, gives lie to any any notion that we are sort of past these issues because we're having these same debates, these same discussions over and over and over again. Um, how does the, um, the the battle for LGBTQ rights uh, fit into the framework of what we're talking about? Um, I, I've seen firsthand some resistance on that front also and attempts to uh, some backlash and attempts to turn back the clock. Yeah, I mean, they're they're absolutely. And I think looking at Virginia in this last year and the really the attack on transgender students rights um, in so many different ways from, you know, what bathroom do you use? I mean, that's a that is a fight that we won years ago in the Gavin Grimm case at the Fourth Circuit. There is a very clear decision saying that transgender students, you know, have to be allowed to use the bathroom of their choosing. And, um, and yet we have, I mean, we are fighting that fight over and over and over again, right? The right of students to participate in sports. We're having those fights over and over and over again. And again, I think it is politicians who are using this for political gain at the very profound expense of LGBTQ kids. Um, and I would say other kids as well, right? It is, um, it is a very disturbing message for adults to tell children that discrimination and mean-spiritedness and bigotry from adults is just fine, right? Like that is a disturbing message that no kids should hear. And yet that is the message that many of our school systems are sending. Here's something else that's disturbing to me as a, a layman and a journalist and not a lawyer. Um, the rule of law seems under attack in America. 
And I look at some of the decisions that are coming out of the Supreme Court, and, and, and frankly, they don't seem to make a lot of sense And um, from a legal standpoint. Uh, they seem more like political decisions than legal decisions. And you, you spoke of having to fight the same battles over and over again. Um, we thought we'd run the, won the voting rights battle. <laughs> and the voting rights um, law is being, re, is being deconstructed as we speak. And um, so I worry um, as, as the things we speak of um, find their way in the court, things that seem patently absurd to us, whether we're going to be dealing with arbiters who are, who are calling from a legal standpoint rather than a political one. I mean, do you have concerns about the direction the courts are going? That's a long-winded way of asking. Oh, yeah. I don't think you can do this work and not have, like, deep concerns about, uh, about rulings of the Supreme Court and the voting rights, right? I mean, the, the sort of... Um, uh, the litigation about voting rights, you know, starting with Shelby County and the kind of erosion of those protections. I mean, right now we have a Supreme Court that has said pretty clearly that they are not going to protect the right of, um, of most folks to vote in any kind of serious way, right? And so um, it's concerning. It's deeply worrisome. And I left out abortion here. Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. But, you know, I think what we have what we've said at the ACLU is um, we have to look at all the tools in the toolbox to change this, because it's um, if ever we could count on the federal courts to um, protect, uh, you know, consistently protect the rights of, um, of, you know, sort of all of our citizens. If ever that was true, it certainly is no longer true. And so, you know, we're investing in, we've got a team of litigators, but we've also got a team of lobbyists and, and you know, kind of working on um, public education reports, right? Like we've said, we're not going to win this fight um, solely in the courts, right? This, we have to change um, hearts and minds. We have to have really kind of a uh, across the board kind of wholesale, like, you know, public discussion about who we want to be. And, and this fight is going to be won um, in, you know, in the, in, the, in, the, in the hearts and minds of the American people, but, right? But how do we win the fight in the court of public opinion when all the propaganda arms that are, you know, are seen, the effective propaganda arms seem to be on the right? There's no left... Um, wing equivalent to Fox News, for instance. Um, yeah, I mean, th right, that's a great think, question. The think tanks. Yeah. Um, and the Republican Party, frankly, seems a lot more effective on its messaging. The right seems more effective in its messaging and pers in persuasion. Uh, how, do, how, do, how do people who care about the Constitution, the rule of law, and, 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 and social justice win in the court of public opinion in America today? Well, I'll say this. I think that something that gives me some hope, and I, I mean, everything you said is correct. There's a lot to be like deeply concerned about. But things that give me hope is that, you know, we from time to time do polling of the Virginia population, right, of, you know, Virginia voters. Um, and we, you know, read polls. And across the board, voters um, strongly support the right of women to ha have an abortion or not, right? That is, I mean, the, the data is pretty clear. 
Virginians support the right of um, people who have been convicted of felonies to be able to, you know, sort of automatically get the right to vote. Um, people support um, the right of uh, students to learn accurate history and to check out the books that they want to check out, right? So I would say, for, you know, looking at Virginia across the board, Virginians have some pretty good values. Virginians, you know, have um, uh, believe in the protection of civil rights and civil liberties. Now, does that show up every single time in every election? Obviously not, right? There's there's a lot to fight, but um, but we need to uh, we need to mobilize kind of the the populace to actually take action based on those beliefs. Um, and, it, you know, I think it was really unfortunate that the message from this last election was that um, somehow we could seize on this, like, anti, um, well, this, this school censorship message and that that would win elections. But I really, I, I am not at all convinced that that will win elections long term. I think that was, you know, we had a, we had a year in which that succeeded as a message, but we're going to fight against that um, and see what see what Virginians really want in the long run. The voice of um, the ACLU, um, can you can how do how do people how do people reach you or reach out to you? Are you all forward facing finding the, the, the things that, um, you know, need to be taken to court um, from, you know, uh, Virginians or, or citizens in general? I'm asking because the younger voice may not necessarily know exactly um, what the ACLU does. Um, and so when we need to mobilize, how do we do that? Yeah, I mean, um, great question. We, you know, we, people can go to our website, ACLUVA.org. Um, there's a link that you can click on to send us a message. You know, here's, I have a legal problem. We receive um, literally thousands of requests for assistance each year. A lot of those are from incarcerated people um, uh, who th those folks generally send us kind of uh, paper mail because because uh, it's hard to um, get access to a computer if they're incarcerated. But but we receive um, online messages, we receive letters, and we read every single one of them. Um, and that's how uh, a lot of our cases come to us is people saying, you know, this thing happened to me, this thing happened to someone I know, here's this policy our school board is, um, uh, is pursuing. And, um, you know, and, and we want to hear from people. We want to know what's going on. It seems like, um, uh, to your point earlier, uh, part of our job now is to align our politics and our political infrastructure with what the people want. I'm hearing this all the time now that polls show uh, majority, substantial majorities of people want certain things, but that um, gerrymandering and, and our curious kind of setup of minority rule um, uh, have canceled out the possibility, uh, at least in the near term, of those things happening. Um, so what do we do on that front to create an infrastructure that allows what the people want to actually happen? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, you know, I look at this in the context of abortion rights, right? So in 1973, there was a Supreme Court ruling. Roe v. Wade said women have a right to an abortion. Um, 
And the far right really embarked on a 50-year plan to overturn that, right? Like a very dedicated, sort of committed effort to subvert the will of the American people in the sense that this is a very popular policy that Americans overwhelmingly support the right to choose. Um, and so I think folks on the other side really need to understand that this is this is not something we win quickly. This is so, this is a long-term fight, right? Because um, because folks on the other side are deeply committed to um, trying to achieve a certain outcome, whether that is uh, you know sort of a majority popular position or not. Um, and we need to be in it for the long haul and to, to have that fight. Mayor, what are you excited about? What are some things that um, have been either won recently or you didn't have to take to court that um, that you are that you all are proud about, whether that's, you know, in the state of Virginia, but more so um, nationally as well? Yeah, I'm excited about um, efforts to uh, cut down on incarceration in Virginia. Right. And, and I'm not saying we've made huge progress there. But I think we are building a bipartisan sort of consensus that Virginians lock up too many people and for way too long. And, you know, we saw we've seen like little bits of progress in this legislative session. But I, I do think we have both Democrats and Republicans talking about, for example, um, the number of years that people, you know, get locked up for possession of drugs um, and whether that's really a sensible policy, right? Particularly when people are experiencing addi addiction issues. And and we're really hearing from Republicans the idea, the acknowledgement that, you know, drug addiction is a mental health issue. It's a health issue. It's not a, uh, should not be purely a criminal justice system. So I am I am optimistic that we are kind of, um, on a path, not in not in six months or a year, but over time to really kind of rebuild the criminal legal system so that it is a more just and equitable system. Um, just, just curious, um, the mask, mask position, it's coming out of the, the um, legislature and the governor, um, basically saying school districts um, cannot mandate mask wearing. Is that... Um, where does that square with the Americans with Disabilities Act for vulnerable um, children in classrooms or even teachers for that matter? Right. Um, so as you as you know, the ACLU of Virginia brought a lawsuit um, on behalf of about a dozen kids and their parents challenging the um, both the um, sort of executive order and then later the um, the bill that passed that prohibit schools from having a man mask mandate. And we did that on behalf of kids who were medically vulnerable, for whom the mask mandate is absolutely um, a requisite for them to be able to go to school, right? And so there was a decision in a, in a similar case some months back in South Carolina where the court said that a mask for an immunocompromised kid is basically like a ramp for a kid who uses a wheelchair. It is absolutely like the sort of access to the school systems. And, and our kids, the kids we're representing, um, are put in the position where they have to choose between, you know, basically staying alive, staying healthy, and 
getting an in-person education. And that's a, that is just a choice that those kids should not have to make. Um, and so, you know, that is, uh, that's what our lawsuit says, basically, that the Americans with Disability Act, the 504 of the Rehab Act, those protect kids with disabilities and schools, uh, state law can't overturn those federal laws that require that those kids get protected. And, and, um, and I would say, like, shouldn't try to, right? Who is it that is, um, wants to pass a law to hurt children with cancer? Like what, like what have we become that the, you know, that we've got a politician standing up there and saying, I don't care if you have kids with cancer. I don't care if you have kids with, you know, you know, potentially fatal, you know, illnesses, um, you can't protect them. That is a, that is just an unbelievably offensive guidance um, from our, you know, state leaders. And that's, um, that's what our case is about. And, you know, we've, we've got a hearing coming up um, in the next 10 days or so, and we'll see what the, what the court has to say about that. As you know, uh, Mary, Michael Paul writes a column every week um, at Richmond.com, and we are encouraging the audience to make sure that they subscribe to it so they can um, read what he's talking about. But, Mary, how is the media, um, what's the media's role in, in helping ACLU um, get information? Um, you know, sometimes we, we could be criticized for getting it right and getting it wrong. Um, but what is, what's the media's role in assisting you all in what you do? Um, I think, you know, I mean, we, we may not agree about every, you know, matter and every issue, but I think the ACLU and certainly, um, you know, Michael Paul Williams, like we are committed to truth telling, right? We don't always get it right every, every single moment, but we are committed to telling a true story about who we are um, and to talking honestly about the role of things like race in both in Virginia history, but but now when we talk about the the right to vote amendment, the effort to to restore the right to vote to people disenfranchised because they've been convicted of a felony, that is you, you couldn't draw a clearer line from the racist 1902 uh, Constitution to today. Right. It is we are living with a law and a policy that is a, an absolute relic of Jim Crow law. And that's, that's why people were disenfranchised and that has not changed. So, you know, we're telling that true story. And I think that's, um, and that's what the media does. I mean, that's ideally, that's what the media does. It tells true stories, um, tells uncomfortable stories, things that are sometimes um, disquieting or that, that make us, you know, uh, recognize that ours is a, an imperfect, you know, we have an imperfect history, but um, I, I think we share those goals. Any final words, Michael Paul, as we wrap this up? Well, I just, I want to thank um, Mary and the um, ACLU for their work. Um, just seems like we're in a curious moment. I hear a lot of noise about my rights and my freedom. I don't, I have, you know, I want the freedom from getting a vaccine um, that might help stem a pandemic that's affecting everyone. Uh, I have my rights and my freedom not to wear a mask. But a lot of what we've talked about today is about repressing freedom, repressing mm -hmm. rights. Yeah. Um, you know, the right to vote, 
um, the, the right, the children might have to learn an honest history, the right of teachers to instruct without intimidation. So I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of actions that contradict a lot of the noise that I'm hearing. And frankly, it ticks me off. Mary Bauer, executive director of ACLU of Virginia. This is the After the Monuments podcast. Real talk about race with Michael Paul Williams and Kelly Lemon. Mary, once again, we thank you for joining us in this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. After the Monuments is a Virginia Video Network production and produced by Matt Pacilli, Michael Paul Williams, and me, Kelly Lemon. Technical direction and editing from Bill Barksdale. Executive production from Paul Farrell. Diane Salvatore, and Paige Mudd. Will Royer provides studio support. Our artwork is by Krishna Mathis. I'm Kelly Lemon, and we'll see you next week on After the Monuments.